Good morning, everyone. Yeah, my name is Sam. I'm the high school and college pastor here at Friendship, and it's my pleasure to get to do the next in this series called Tools for Wisdom. We're going through the book of Proverbs and really looking at what it has to say in specific areas of our lives to help give us wisdom in those areas. And so uh, I'm going to be talking about the area of friendship. Um, So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do something a little different, a little interactive. I hope that you're willing to engage with this with me and turn to somebody near you. Uh, Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. But talk to them real quick for one minute about this question. Oh, it helps if you turn the clicker on, then the slides work better. Uh, there we go. Uh, who is your best friend, and what is one thing that makes them a good friend? So who's your best friend? Tell your neighbor who your best friend is real quick. One minute, go. And if you're nervous about making one of your other friends jealous, you can mention one of your best friends. That is okay. It doesn't have to be the best friend. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for engaging with me on that. Um, I probably lost you now for the rest of the service. I've started something I can't stop. (laughs) You weren't done yet? I'm so sorry. That's just the thing, though, right? Friends get us talking. We love to brag about those who are close to us. And if I were to say my best friend, I would probably say my wife. My wife is my best friend. Um, Now, if you say that's cheating, Sam, tell me about somebody who's not your wife, who's your best friend, I'd be like, well, it's still my wife. But um, I would say right now, my best friend is probably my brother, Eli. We are two years apart. We spend a lot of time together. He's probably my best friend right now. But I would love to also tell you about two of my best friends growing up and also an excuse to show you some old photos. Okay, so um, up on the top of the screen is my friend Jonathan. Um, On the left, that's us in high school. Um, Jonathan is a friend who I met in eighth grade. Him and his brother Joel were really close friends with me and my brother Eli. And so they lived right down the street from the church. So every Sunday we'd go to church together and we'd walk back to their house and swim in the pool or play video games or football or something like that. But we spent a ton of time together. Uh, And then Uh, On the bottom of the screen is Josh. Josh has been uh, one of my best friends since first grade. Um, And when I was was in first grade, we started attending a new church, and uh, I was a very anxious kid growing up. Somebody's phone's ringing, by the way. Um, I was a super anxious kid, and so I sat in the very back of the class during Sunday school because I just didn't want to be in and amongst the crowd of people. I was super anxious. Um, And Josh was a troublemaker, so he sat in the back of class so the teacher wouldn't see him. And therefore, we got to know each other really well, and he became one of my best friends. Um, But the thing about these two guys, throughout middle school and high school, uh, both of these guys were in my discussion group with me, and we became super close. They loved the Lord, and they've loved me really well. Um, I could tell you a thousand stories of the dumb things we've done, of the funny things we've done, um, and of the ways that God has used them in my life. And I have one example, which I'll share in just a moment. But before I do, I want to talk about kind of the purpose of this message. It really comes out of this uh, verse. We're going to be jumping around, so if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'd encourage you. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs for most of the time. You'll be flipping around a bit, and that's okay. Um, it'll also be up on the screen. But Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And as I was trying to think of what a good theme for a message on friendship would be, I think it's this. It's that those who are, 
those who are righteous will choose their friends carefully. But I think that this also works the other way, that those who carefully choose their friends will become more righteous. And so, with that in mind, I want to talk about the purpose of friends. I think that if we don't ask ourselves this question, we're not going to be very intentional with our friendships. If you think about it, right, we all probably did this in elementary school, right? We were like, okay, what's the purpose of friends? And we're, I, I really want to get this right. And so we made a list, right, of all the attributes in a friend that makes the perfect friend. And then we looked through all the people and we we're like, no, no, yes. And we made best friends, that, right? You guys all did that, right? This is how we made friends? No, right? You sat in the back of class because you were anxious and you met a kid who was a troublemaker and that became your best friend. Like, that's how it worked. But as you get older, it's important to think intentionally about who we're friends with, who we're spending time with. And uh, so I want to look and say, okay, what does God's word say? What does God's word have to say about the purpose of friendship? And so let's dive into a few different passages in the book of Proverbs. The first is Proverbs 17, 17. It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So, first purpose in friendship is that a friend is somebody who is going to love you at all times, walk through life with you, in the good and the bad. But I love the second part, that a brother is born for a time of adversity. The, the, those closest friends are there for the times of adversity in your life. Uh, I have a, a long story that I'm going to make short. Um, and that is uh, to kind of bring in my two best friends, Josh and Jonathan, and share a moment that when I think of this verse, I think of the two of them. Um, so when I was in college, when I was 21, I was engaged to be married. And long story short on this one, I can tell you the details later if you want to hear, but long story short is that a week before the wedding, I decided to call off the wedding. Um, it, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was what I believed God was calling me to do, what I believed the right thing to do was. And so, um, so six days before the wedding, called it off. Very difficult. And if any of you have ever called off a wedding before, then you would know that when you call a wedding off, there's a lot of phone calls you got to make. You got to cancel the food, the venues. There's all these things that you have to like deal with. So one of the things was to call my groomsmen. Josh and Jonathan were both groomsmen in my wedding, and so I called Josh, and I can still remember the conversation. Uh, he said, I said, Josh, the wedding's off. And he responded by saying, tell me you're joking. And I said, no, I'm not. And so then he said, okay, I'm coming over. And he hung up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so he's coming over, I guess. Called Jonathan. The wedding's off. And he said, I am so sorry. Is it okay if I come over? Josh is already on his way, so yeah, come on over. And let me just tell you that when there's a broken engagement, there's not a lot to say. There's not a lot you can do. But my friends were there for me. And they just came and they sat with me and prayed with me, tried to make me laugh, asked if they could do anything. They, they were just there. And up to that point, I would say they're my best friends. We could laugh together. We can do crazy adventures together. We can do all these things. They're my best friend because X, Y, and Z. But in that moment, I got to see the character of my friends come out, that they were brothers in time of adversity who sat with me and were there for me. And so 
That's one of the purposes that God has for our friends, to be there for us in a time of adversity. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Very similar to the passage we just talked about. And I could keep telling you stories about Josh and Jonathan, but I thought it'd be good to also give another, a biblical example. Um, When I read this verse, it, it makes me think of Paul and Barnabas. For those of you who know the story of Paul and Barnabas in in the book of Acts, many of us jump right to the end of their time serving in ministry together where Paul and Barnabas decide to split ways and to do separate missions. But if you rewind the clock back to the beginning of Paul's time in ministry, Paul, before that, he's persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. And then... As Paul is on his way on this road to Damascus to do more persecuting of the church, God meets him. Jesus meets him on the road and changes his life. And he gives his life to Christ and he wants to share the gospel with people. But a lot of Christians don't trust him yet. They're like, I I don't believe that this guy who was doing all of that is actually a follower of Christ. But Barnabas is one of the few who gets to know Paul and stands for him. Even when everybody else, even people in the church were like standoffish, he stood with him and said, I believe, and I'll stake my reputation on this guy, and I will go with this guy. Barnabas' name is son of encouragement. That's what it means. And that is exactly what he is to Paul. He's an encourager. He's a supporter. He is There, he's closer than a brother, even when Paul didn't have many who were on his side. Do we have friends like that, who are there in a time of adversity, who stick closer to a brother, who are there for us in times when maybe nobody else is? Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. So that first one, as iron sharpens iron. One of the purposes of friendship is this. God has given us friends as a tool to help mold and shape us into the image of Christ. To help be a tool in that sanctification as we are walking towards Christ. Just like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, when, I don't know if you've ever seen iron sharpening iron, but it doesn't look like it's a comfortable process all the time. Sometimes it, they grind against each other a little bit, but it's with a purpose. It's with intentionality. Do we have friends that are there helping mold and shape us towards Christ? And then, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. And so here, let me ask you this question. Here's one. Who do you go to when you need advice? Do you go to somebody who's just going to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you go to somebody who you know, loves the Lord, knows the word, and wants to point you towards Christ, even if it's a hard thing to hear? Who's willing to say, I think you're going the wrong way. Let's go into God's word and and let me show you what I'm talking about. If you want to become wise, Walk with the wise. 
One passage outside of the book of Proverbs that I wanted to throw up here is uh, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think this is one of the most important purposes of friendship. To have somebody who's willing to stand between you and sin, who knows you and can help keep you accountable, somebody who you let into your life and they know the things that you struggle with, things that are difficult for you, things that you are tempted by, and they're willing to stand in the gap between you and sin. And friends who are willing to tell you when you're walking in sin, who love you enough to tell you the truth, to say, what I'm seeing in you right now, it doesn't look like the way Jesus calls us to walk. And let me tell you, that is a hard conversation to have. I don't know about you guys, if you've ever been in that situation, but sometimes we get it in our heads that if I tell them that they're walking in sin, that I'm going to lose that friend. That they're going to think I'm judging them and that they're not going to want to be my friend anymore and I'd rather have their friendship, so I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to pray and hope that they realize it on their own. Real friends love one another enough that they hate to see their friend living in sin. That that eats them alive. I can't see my friend walking into sin and not step in and try to help them walk more like Christ. And when I have that kind of influence into somebody's life, they have that with me. And that if they start to see me going astray, that I will trust first that they are doing it out of love for me. Which is also hard. But do we have friends who step in and say, I care about your holiness. Here's what I would summarize as the purpose, when I look biblically, the purpose of friendship is that it's somebody who is partnering with us. A friend is a partner in this walk of maturity towards Christ. And so the question I'd ask is, do we look at our friendships this way? As a partner in this journey towards maturity in Christ as people that God has put into our lives to help us to look more like him. We could read more in Proverbs, but I I feel like that was plenty. I believe that this is ultimately what God's goal is for our friends. And so it it does uh, beg a question, but before I get there, I want to give one example that maybe will help us picture what this looks like. So, question, are your friends people who help or hinder your growth in Christ. Um, this is a picture of me and my, my friend Jonathan that I told you about earlier. We were on, this is in high school, we had this kayaking trip. It was like a senior leadership trip that we did, sea kayaking. And um, we were in a tandem kayak. So let me ask you this question. Who's ever gone kayaking before? Raise of hands, anybody? All right. Who's ever been in a tandem kayak where you're paired up with somebody? Okay. So here's, here's the thing. A tandem kayak can go faster and farther than any single kayak can go. However, a tandem kayak can also go slower and not nearly as far as a single kayak can go. It's all about who's in the boat with you. 
when you're kayaking and you're stuck with somebody, at least this is the way that our kayak worked, the, the guy in the back had this little, these little feet pedals to like with a rudder on the back. So the guy in the back has a lot of responsibility in the direction that we're going. And the guy in the front, that was me, sets the pace and, and is the one who, well, has a, a better view, you know, can point out rocks or icebergs that are ahead. And so as you're paddling, it's so important that there's communication, that there's trust, and that both people are working as a team. And if you do, you'll be able to go so far and so fast, and it is a beautiful experience. Who's in your boat has a great deal to do on with whether they help or hinder that journey that you are on. And so, with our friends, who's in your boat? The people that you let into the kayak with you, are they helping or hindering your walk with Christ? It matters immensely who we put in our boat with us. Now, this does beg the question then, should I only be friends with Christians? If the purpose is that we are partnered with them to look more like Christ, that it matters who's in my boat because if they're hindering me, then I don't want that. I want someone who's helping me towards Christ. So I should only be friends with Christians then, right? Following you, Sam. No. That's not what I mean. We, we should be friends with both people who are believers and unbelievers. However, I think that scripture is super clear that those who have the most influence in our lives, those who we spend the most time with, those who we give that level of, uh, of influence, they need to be Christian. So I want to go back to the kayaking example really quick to help maybe explain this. The people that we put in the kayak with us, they have to be Christian. They have to be followers of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are not called to paddle up alongside unbelievers, to love them, to share the gospel with them, to be Jesus to them. We should be paddling real close to so many people who don't know Christ. But they're not the people that we're going to asking for wisdom, the people who are asking to hold us accountable, who are there to shape and mold us as iron sharpens iron, those are the people who are in the boat with us. Now, where my kayak analogy uh, kind of falls apart is that the Bible doesn't say that you only need to have one friend. Like You can have, like I don't know, a whole canoe or a raft if you really want. But the point is this. We need friends who are in our boat, helping us, partnering with us, towards maturity in Christ. Because this is a reality, that we become like those that we spend the most time with. Have you guys seen this to be true, right? Have you ever seen little kids, like really little kids, they look a lot like their parents, right? They spend a lot of time with their parents. They're like little mini versions of their parents. Then as they get older, middle school, high school, you start to see them looking a lot more like their friends. You saw my haircut, right? The long swoosh. Like, that's because all my friends, we had the long hair. And you have words that you start saying, and the, like parents are like, what, where are they picking up this? Like, what does that word even mean? And, and they start to dress in a certain way because their friends, and th- their friends have such a huge influence on them because that's who they're spending their time with. And then, if you get married... Your spouse has a huge influence on you, right? You start eating things you never thought you'd eat before. There's things that are green that you can eat. I don't know if you know that. When I got married, I learned that there's green things you can eat. You start to do things that you've never done before, right? That 
Marriage brings out a whole new side of you because there's somebody who has a huge influence on you. And so, as it is with our friends, we become like those that we spend time with. And so I want to show a couple of warnings in Proverbs that have to do with this. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, this verse doesn't say you can't be friends with anybody who's ang- who gets angry. What it says is have no friendship with someone who's given over to anger. Somebody who anger defines them. That, that's their go-to. That is what they seek after. Now, again, we should paddle up alongside those people and help love them and help them to see that there's a better way. But for those who are given over to anger, don't spend time with them. Why? If they're in our boat, you're going to find yourself getting more and more frustrated quickly and you're going to find yourself getting angry quickly at things because that's the person who I'm letting in, giving me wisdom, giving me that influence, and, and that's what I'm going to become. I'm going to become angry. Proverbs 2019, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Again, do not even associate with. Now, I would encourage you not to call your friends simple babblers. Doesn't go well. But we shouldn't be putting in our boat those who are given over to slander and gossip. Why? Because the more time I spend with somebody who gossips all the time, guess what I start to do? I gossip right alongside them. I slander right alongside them. And my tongue is no longer used to praise the Lord, but to cut down those who are created in his image. And so, are we friends with, these are just two examples, people who are given over to anger, slander, sin. You can fill in the blank, I'm sure, of other areas so important because we become like who we spend time with, that we care about the character of our friends. 1 Corinthians 15 puts this super simply. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This is the warning to those of us who go, I'm going to go in and I'm going to change them. The reality is your influence might help change them some. That's true. But there's a warning. Don't be deceived. Bad company will ruin good morals. You will be tempted over and over again to just give a little here, to just step a little bit farther this way, and to walk more and more towards sin. There's a good picture, in my head at least, of it's easier to pull somebody down than to pull somebody up. Right, if I were to like have somebody come to the stage and try to, it'd be easier for somebody to pull me off the stage than for me to try to heave somebody up onto it. Because as good as our intentions might be, bad company is going to corrupt the good morals. It's, it's a struggle. It's hard. Once again, that doesn't mean that we don't put ourselves into places where we paddle alongside those who need good morals. But who we put in our boats They have to have, they have to be company that is, that have good morals. Second Thessalonians, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this. 
He says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we have to say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Nor, But do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Paul is writing this to the church. And he says, if there's people in the church who are not following the word of God, don't associate with them. But don't treat them like an enemy. Treat them like a brother. Warn them. So, with anyone, whether they're in the building or outside of it, we need to care that their character is following the word of God. That's, that's the criteria. Are they following Jesus? And for those in the church, if they're not, if they're, if they're clearly reading the word and going the other way, we're called to separate ourselves from them so that they're not in our boat, but they're next to our boat, and then warn them. Love them, like we said earlier. Tell them, I see you walking in sin, and that hurts. I don't want that for you. And the hope is that any believer who's not walking, following what Paul or others have written, that they would see and they would repent and turn and run back to Jesus, hop right back in the boat with us. That's the hope. So here's a maybe hard question. If you became exactly like your friends, would you look more or less like Jesus? Think about the person that you said earlier is your best friend or your best friends. If you became exactly like them, do you look more or less like Jesus? Hard question, right? That doesn't mean that your friends have to be perfect, that they have to be perfectly Jesus to become more like Jesus, right? Because none of us are perfect. We all fall short. But are they somebody who is pursuing Christ in such a way that if you became like them, you would be more like and grow more like Christ? One more biblical example I wanted to share um, for sake of time, we're not going to read their stories because we'd be here a while, but I would encourage you to do it on your own if you have the time. David and Jonathan compared to Job and his friends. These are two examples that we have in Scripture where there's these clear friendships. David and Jonathan, first. Jonathan is the son of Saul, who's the king at the time, which means that Jonathan is next in line to the throne. He will be king, except that God decides to anoint David to be the next king. I don't know about you, but if you're in line to be king and then some other guy is now anointed to be king instead of you, you're probably not going to be, I don't know, the biggest fan of that guy, maybe. But that's not the way that Jonathan responds. Jonathan loves David. And it says that. It says that Jonathan loved David and David loves Jonathan. And Jonathan does something where he gives his armor and he, basically it's this support of David to be king. He completely goes, I trust the Lord and I love you. And it's this friendship that even though it's not what's maybe his best, maybe Jonathan thinks this isn't, this isn't what's best for me, it's not what I wanted, it doesn't make, but my friend, 
I love him. That's pretty crazy to have a friend who loves you that way. Now let's compare that real quick to Job and his friends. Job is a wealthy guy. He loves the Lord. He is rich. He has a big family. Everything's going great for him. His friends are awesome. And then tragedy strikes and all of his children die and all of his wealth, most of his wealth is stolen from him. And even his own body, he gets covered in boils and he has disease and he is struggling. But then his friends come. Unfortunately, unlike how Josh and Jonathan came around me and were just there for me, Job's friends decide to speak. And they say, this is your fault. The reason why all of this trial is happening in your life, Job, is because you have sinned and God is punishing you. And it must have been some bad sin because look at how bad your life is right now. When I look at Job's friends, I see guys who are fair-weather friends. It's just my reading of it. They seem to like him and support him when he's wealthy and when things are going good and when life's great. But then when life hits, they are not brothers born for time of adversity. Instead, they kick him while he's down. And so, just looking at those two, and I get that they're a little bit on the extremes, but a friend like Jonathan who loves you no matter what, who's there for you in times of adversity, in times of joy, and is even willing to be excited for and support and encourage you even at their own expense. Or, like Job's friends, people who are only there for you if things are good, if you're able to give them something, if they can get something from you, not when stuff's hard. So again, which one looks more like your friends? If you were to think about everything going wrong in your life and say, yes, I am confident my friends would be a Jonathan who shows up and loves me. Or, I don't know, they might be like Job's friends. Is a question that is worth asking. One more time, if you became like your friends, would you look more or less like Jesus? Last two thoughts as we finish up here. I wanted to summarize by saying we need friends. God has called us to community. He has called us to have people in our lives for all the reasons that we started with. Because we need people to encourage us, to comfort us, to challenge us, to support us, to exhort us, and to remind us that Jesus is better. He is. He's better than any sin, any temptation, anything that might draw us away. Jesus is better, and we need people to lovingly come alongside us and support us in that way. And so our friend's character, it matters. It matters who your friends are. But I want to say one last thing before I get off the stage. We've been talking a lot about the people who you are friends with, but I want to ask you, what kind of a friend are you? Honestly. If your friends became exactly like you, would they look more or less like Jesus? Again, doesn't mean you have to be perfect for that to happen, but are you pursuing Jesus? If your friends need wisdom, 
would they come to you? And we could keep going. But it matters. What kind of friend are you? So my challenge today as we leave is to say, will you pursue both having friends and being a friend who is a partner in pursuing maturity in Christ? Are you willing to take up that call to be intentional about who you put in the boat with you and to be intentional to paddle alongside others? As I close, uh, we're going to go into a time of offering. And so I just wanted to share with everyone here that the uh, ushers are going to be coming down with buckets. You can put your offering in there. You can also put the Connect cards that uh, the Roostings talked about earlier this morning. You can put those in the buckets as well. There's also opportunities if you want to give online um, or by mail. There, so whatever way is easiest for you. Um, and so... Let me just pray over our offering and, and over you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for friends. I thank you, Lord, that you bring about a community around us. I pray, God, that as, as we look at our friends, Lord, if there's people in our life that we need to create more distance from, who need less influence in our lives. Lord, help us to know how to go about doing that in a way that is loving and that shows them, yeah, your love, Jesus. But help us to be intentional, Lord, to find those who love you, who love your word, and help us to put them in the boat with us, to partner with them that we might grow to look more like you, God. Lord, I also want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to give through offering. Lord, I pray that we would be joyful givers, that we would see the gifts that you've given us and give back to you a portion of that that you might use it so that people will know the gospel both here in Scott County and around the world. We love you so much. And Jesus, we thank you that you call us friends. I can't even fathom that the Lord of all the universe would call me a friend. But thank you that you do. We love you so much, and we pray these things all in your name, Jesus. Amen.